Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to hopefully finish this chapter today. Last week we looked at the first four verses. This morning we'll hopefully get through the rest of it. It's such a wonderful time in biblical history as we consider this passage before us today because like you and I, or we, all of us together, we are longing for that day when we will stand in, in, in glory. And we know that when we, when we pass away right now, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We know that we're, when we die, this flesh goes into the ground and our soul and our spirit return to God and we are in heaven. And we are there temporarily until the Lord returns in his second coming, not the rapture, but in the second coming. And then remember, we come back with him and we spend a thousand years on this earth ruling and reigning with him in new bodies. And then we will be there and for that time. And then the Bible says that after that time, that God will cause this current heavens and this current earth to dissolve with fervent heat. And there's conjecture on what that really means, and we'll get to that. But either way, it's going to be all, everything is going to be made new again. And then we're going to be inhabiting a city, New Jerusalem, and that will be our eternal state. There'll be no more transitioning at that point. That'll be the end of it. Does that make sense? In fact, I had uh, made a graphic, and, and I'm not going to really refer to this too much today, but I'm going to put it up there because really here at the far right side of the diagram that I put together, it really just gives a, a timeline of the of these end-time events, or the end-time calendar. But it talks about the new heavens, and the new, the new earth, and new Jerusalem. And we are still back in the church age. You can see where there's a little thing that says, we are here. <laughs> it's like being in a mall and seeing a map, and a little red dot, you are here. That's where we are at. So we've still got a long ways ahead, a long ways ahead. And most of it is going to be in bliss. Because after the church age is finished... When Jesus returns for us, and then we meet him in the clouds, and the dead in Christ rise, and we receive new bodies, we will be with him forever, and there'll be no more crying, no more pain for us. And I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that. So looking forward to that. And so, let's look at verse 5 through 27. It says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, for they are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But notice, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, 
Her light was like most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates, and twelve angels at the gates, and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he he measured, excuse me, its wall, 144 cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel, And the construction of its wall was of jasper, and of the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, and the tenth chrysoprase, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb is its light." And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there, and and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life." The Lamb's Book of Life. What a scene that is. Can you imagine? Are you looking forward to that? I don't know about you, but as I I consider the the state of the the, the world right now, and I I read this description, I can't wait. I honestly can't wait. We've never experienced anything like this. No one ever has. Can you imagine the absence of sin, even in your own life? I mean, that that would be a mind blower. To be having a, a body that's outfitted for eternity, a new body where, where you're, you're no longer tempted to sin. You've been perfected in a sense. We can't even fathom these things. And I love the book of Revelation because John tries to describe these things that he is seeing that is being revealed to him. He's trying to re- show us those things and he's trying to use a language And the language really fails us because there's no language that can really describe what he's describing here because he has to use so many similes. It's like this. It's kind of like this. It's like this in appearance. He can't really describe it completely. And that is who God is. He is, in a sense, he is unknowable, even though we do know him. But I, I would venture to say that I know him about like that. And he's okay with that. Because it's growing, but yet he is infinite. Let your heart be carried away with the infiniteness of God. 
Because as soon as you can figure God out, as soon as you say, ah, I finally figured him out. Now I completely understand all the mysteries. Believe me, you haven't touched, even scratched the surface. It'd be foolish for anyone to say, I've, I've got it. I, God always works like this. Sometimes God blows our minds by doing something that we can't even imagine. Confounding our wisdom. Because he is God and we are not. Therefore, it behooves us then to pay attention. It behooves us to desire to get to know this one who all of eternity is curious about. Even the angels, they don't know him completely. Otherwise, they'd be God. Let your heart be carried away. I'd encourage you, if you're struggling in your worship, Read the first couple of chapters of Revelation where it describes Jesus in his glorified state and then flip over to chapters 21 and 22 and read that when you're having a tough day, when you feel like everything's against you. Have you felt like that? Of course we have. All of us have. Perhaps when you're feeling ill. Perhaps when the doctor has come to you and said, you know what, There's, you got this. And it's incurable. You got six months, you got a year, you got maybe three years. When you get news like that, where do you go? The world goes to the bottle. The world goes to drugs. But where can you go to? You go to the one who created all things. And you give your heart completely to him and let him completely have all of you. I would encourage you this morning, especially for those of you who have known Christ for some time, let him have all of you. May there not be a door or a room that has not been completely open to him. The time is short, folks. I know and I believe that Jesus is going to return for his bride, the church, soon. We don't know the day or the hour, but we see the conditions and the things that are happening. And Jesus said, when you begin to see these things happen, begin to look up because your redemption is drawing nearer and nearer and nearer. Every single second we're drawing nearer and nearer. And boy, I can't wait to be delivered from this body of death. Can I get a witness? That's <laughs> so what they say it down south. Can I get a witness? And they get the robes and start moving. Yeah. Let's go back to verse 5. Notice he says, Then he who sat on the throne, that's Jesus, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these things, for they are faithful and true, or true and faithful. Do you believe what Jesus says? Do you believe him? Absolutely, we believe him. He's never lied to us. He never can lie. He doesn't need to lie. When you know all things, you don't need to conceal anything. It's only when you don't know everything that you have to lie because you have to to, uh, justify things. But if you know all things, there's no reason to lie. You can just tell it like it is because you know it, right? I love that. Think about that. And there is no one, no organization that can be trusted But Jesus alone can be trusted. His words, notice, are true and they are faithful. He is true and he is faithful. And notice he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And there is something wonderful about the anticipation of when something awesome is about to begin. Or when something difficult is coming to an end. 
When he says it is done, it is done. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and he says it is done. It is done. And in the scripture, we find at least three places where something is declared finished or undone. We know that Jesus on the cross, in, in John chapter 19, what did he say on the cross when he finally was about to give up the ghost and pay the price ultimately for us? He said, it is finished. To tell us, Dea, you know this, paid in full. It is done. It is finished. Our redemption has been paid for. And another time, certainly at Armageddon, when the Armageddon is uh, coming to a completion, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 7, what does it say? It is done. God's judgment has been completed. It's done. There's no more that's necessary as far as being on the earth, that is. And here we see it here. After he creates the new heavens and the new earth, it is done. It is done. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it being done. Looking forward to things wrapping up here on the earth. And notice he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And you know this, the Alpha is the first letter in the Greek alphabet, and Omega is the very last word. It would be like saying he is the A to the Z. He, he is everything in between. And by the way, even though he says I am the Alpha, the, the A or the Aleph in, in the Greek, in the, in the Tau, the, the Omega, even though he says that, do you understand that he existed before the Alpha? He existed, he's going to exist long after the Omega. He's always existed. He's always existed. In Genesis chapter 1, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He was already in the beginning. Because what does it say in John first, John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was Jesus. In what beginning? His beginning? No, in our beginning. In the beginning, when he said, when he created all things, in that beginning, the beginning for us, he was already there. He existed before then. In fact, it would be a few thousand years down the road from that time when he created all things that he would be tabernacled and come into, he would be incarnate in the Virgin Mary, the virgin birth. Do you believe in the virgin birth? You better. (laughs) Because otherwise we're wasting our time. Yes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This Word is Jesus Christ. He was in the beginning with God. That means in the very beginning, he created all things. He was already there when he was creating it. He spoke it, and he spoke it into existence. And then in Revelation 1, verse 8, we saw this in the description of Jesus early in in the book of Revelation, where it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says it again. And in Isaiah chapter 44, what does it say? Verse 6, thus says the Lord. Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am, in the, I am the last, and besides me there is no God. I think if God knew if there were anybody else, he'd be certainly declare it and go, I'm really not the first, and I'm really not the last. You know, there's this other guy who came before me. No, there was nobody before him. He knows of no one, and if he doesn't, then I better not go scratching through the woods trying to find out. You can try if you want, but he says, I am the beginning, I am the ending, I am the transcendent one, I'm the one who always existed. And folks, let your heart be raptured with that knowledge. That is so wonderful. What a wonderful 
thing that is. Notice in verse 7, and as we come to verse 7 and verse 8, we're going to see the confirmation, really, of the eternal state for the, un, for the believer and for the unbeliever. We'll see that in both of these verses. Notice in verse 7, for the believer, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. You and I have overcome sin or overcome the evil one because of the blood of Christ. We have overcome because of what he has done. We have overcome We have overcome, and notice, he says, you shall inherit, you shall inherit all things. You shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In Romans 8, 31, uh, Paul said to the Romans, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You are going to inherit all things. You know that fancy house on the lake? It's going to be yours. Maybe we should just, maybe the church should just go to all these fancy places on the, on the shores in California and the eastern seaboard and just walk in and say, well, this, it's mine. I don't know. You, you have the deed of this place, right? Yeah, but just scratch that out. It's really mine. I'm only kidding, of course. But all things are yours. All good things are yours. God, you will inherit all things. You will inherit. In fact, when he says that, it, it, this phrase is very reminiscent of what we see at the end of each of the seven letters to the seven churches that Jesus gave to them. Remember, in Revelation 2, verse 7, to the church of Ephesus, he says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life. We're going to see that next week, the tree of life in this new heavens and this new Jerusalem. We're going to see that. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. To the church at Smyrna, he said, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. We've talked about that, and boy, is that a depressing topic. To the church at Pergamos, what did he say? To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. To the church at Thyatira, he says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. Isn't that what you're going to do when we rule and reign with him? We rule and reign with him. Certainly in the millennium. That's what we're going to do. And at Sardis, what does he say? He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. To the church in Philadelphia, he who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I'll write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven. And I'll write on him my new name. That speaks of ownership. When you put your name on a football, guys, remember when you were 10 years old and you got that that leather football? What'd you do? You took a permanent marker and you wrote your name on it. It's ownership. And that's what God does with you. He writes the name of the city. He, writes, he gives you a new name, and he writes his own name. I mean, how much better? It's, it's triplicate. It's a trifecta. He writes his name on you as a stamp of ownership. I, you belong to me. I don't know. I love the fact that I belong to him. I no longer belong to the devil. Before I gave my heart to Christ, I was completely unaware of this battle. I was completely unaware of my, my decrepitness. I knew I was decrepit, but I didn't know the depth of my depravity. And then God gets a hold of a life. He saves that life. What a joy it is. I'm so glad I belong to him. Do you belong to him? Say yes if you do. 
Yes. And for those of you online, speak up. Yeah. Yes, we belong to him. And if you don't belong to him, today, make it your decision to belong to him. He wants you to belong. He wants you. He, want, he wants you. Right? I wish I had my, my hat on, my red, white, and blue hat. Yes. To the church at Laodicea, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. But notice in verse 8, he says, But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We looked at this last week. We really don't need to go over this again. But notice again, the Lord reminds us what will not be present in this new heavens and new earth and in this new Jerusalem. These individuals will not be there because God has already dealt with them. We saw that at the end of chapter 20 in the great white throne judgment. They are cast. Unfortunately, they, had, they made the decision and God granted them their decision. They will be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. And again, the, the lake of fire was not created for people. It was created for the devil and his angels. We know that from Matthew, that, that they, this place, this place of uh, Gehenna, Jesus called this lake of fire Gehenna, this final, ultimate place of uh, Judgment for the wicked dead. They will spend an eternity separated from him. And this word Gehenna is, is translated as how Jesus used it often. And I will just give one example here. In Luke chapter 12, he, he said, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. And that word hell is Gehenna. And he's speaking of this place of eternal torment, the lake of fire. We talked about that last week. He says, I say to you, fear him. Fear him. In Jerusalem, uh, back in the time of the kings, there was a place right to the southeast of the Temple Mount called the Valley of the Son of Hinnom. And it was basically a place where the kings, Ahaz was one of them and others, they would sacrifice their young children to the god of Molech, this bull-like god who had his arms like this and it was heated up to fiery red. And they would lay their children in the arms of Molech and they would, they would burn to death. And they would do this as, a, as an act of worship to these false gods. This is the place where that occurred in the southeast side of the Temple Mount in the temple area down there underneath, under the corner of Mount Zion. And right now, today, there's a highway there, and it, even, it still doesn't look that great, honestly. But they used to burn trash and everything, and there would always be a fire going there at certain times. They'd burn trash, and they would sacrifice their children. Jesus called this place Gehenna because he's referring to that place where all these horrible atrocities occurred. And he says, ultimately, that's where the wicked will finally be sent is Gehenna, the lake of fire, the second death. But notice now in verse 9, we turn the page to something brighter. The sun comes out. I'm so glad. It says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me, and he talked with me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And this is very interesting because we know that we, the church, are the bride the lamb's wife. We are 
the, the bride of Christ. But I find it interesting that this new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven is also called the bride. It's almost like the bride and the place where she dwells, because they're both so beautiful in God's sight, he really sees them as one. He sees them as one. The, 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 the people who will inhabit that place will only be the redeemed. Only be the redeemed. And the place itself is going to be beautiful. We're going to see that. Well, we've already read it this morning. It's beyond description. Beyond description. And when God looks at you in, through the lens of Christ, he sees you that way too. Do you know that? So many of you have grown up and perhaps you had a family member, a mom or a dad, maybe a cousin, a grandmother, whoever it was that looked at you and maybe didn't treat you very well when you were young. Maybe they looked at you and said, you are worth nothing. Maybe they treated you poorly. Maybe they even abused you and you grew up all of your life thinking that you were worthless, that you were nothing, that you meant nothing. And I got to tell you today that God looks at you and he says, you're dynamite. You're out of sight. Because of the blood of my son, I don't see anything but holy perfection. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I am not worthy of that. But that's the reality. That's the truth. That's how great of a salvation that you have. Not only to save you from this lake of fire, which nobody wants to go to, which is the ultimate end of the wicked. Nobody wants to go there. He saved you from that. And he's also saved you for, to have a life right now of blessing. Do you want a life of blessing? Do you want to live your life even on this earth free, uh, have a, a clear conscience? You can. You're not perfect. You're not sinless. But you've got an advocate in heaven who's praying for you, and he's placed within you if you're a child of God, the very spirit of God, giving you the desire to even resist sin. He doesn't want you to continue your life in fear and in agony and turmoil and torment, even as a Christian, because of the guilt that you feel over the things that you've done. Please, please, please hear me this morning. Give your heart to Christ. And especially those who know him already, give your heart back to him. Give every part of your life back to him. Live your life so that you can lay your head on the pillow at night and say, amen. And God can say, well done, you did a good job today. And if you didn't do a good job that day, what do you do? Do you find your solace in the bottom of a bottle of Jim Beam? Do you smoke something illicit? Do you find that partner that you've been messing with? No, you confess your sin. Confess it to God. And what is the promise? That he will be faithful to forgive you and what? To cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then you sleep like a baby. You can sleep like a baby. And it honors God when you do take him at his word. When you confess your sin, he says, I will forgive you and I will cleanse you. And you'll be able to sleep like an infant and God says, I give my beloved sleep. Isn't that wonderful? There's nothing like that in the world. No pill can give you that. A clear conscience and a clear heart before God, there's nothing greater. It's wonderful. Live your life with no regrets. And you know what? Step out in faith. Step out in faith and, 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 and give it a shot, whatever it is you feel the Lord is putting on you. Don't be held back by your own fears and your apprehensions. Don't be held back by others' fears upon you. You break through it and say, you know what? I'm free. He who is, the Son is set free is free indeed. Some of you are still in shackles. Some of you are still in shackles of fear. 
I'm afraid to do this because if I do, I'll lose this. You know what? You'll never know until you step out in faith. You better pray about it. But you know what? There comes a point when you got to stop praying and you got to start doing. I would encourage you to pray, but then do. Pray and then do. My grandfather used to say, you need to fish or cut bait. I like that. I either need to get about the business or I need to do something to help somebody else get about the business. But I want to be about the business because the, the true joy, the true secret is being obedient. There are blessings for obedience. And when we are obedient, oh, the blessings, the clear conscience in your heart, you feel a weight lifted. Do you have a weight on your shoulder this morning? Many of you do. Perhaps only some, I don't know. But he, he, he talks about this new Jerusalem being like a bride, just like the bride of Christ. And Jesus, remember, before he left and, 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 and went to that night of the Last Supper, what did he tell Peter and the disciples? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But notice, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Remember that Jesus, while on the earth, he was a carpenter with his father. Well, his stepfather, I guess you could call it, right? Joseph, he was a carpenter. And where is he now? He's building a place for you. He's probably got it all done. He's going to reveal it. You're going to be amazed. And notice, he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Notice that this holy city is to be contrasted with the other cities that we've seen. And the Bible has been called the, the, the tale of two cities, Babylon and Jerusalem. Babylon being significant because it was the city of impurity from the very beginning in Genesis. It was the foundation of all impure things. It is the city of impurity, corruption, and sin, but yet Jerusalem, and especially the new Jerusalem, is the city of purity. It's the city of perfection and immortality. Tale of two cities. Which one do you want to belong to? The most, most of the world is already in Babylon. America is engulfed in Babylon. And the Lord says, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And what are you going to do? Are you going to cling to Babylon like Lot did, like Lot's family? Some of his family members stayed behind in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God destroyed them. But Lot and his three daughters, two daughters, excuse me, <coughs> even his wife, as she's fleeing through the, the plain, she looks back on Sodom, and God turns her into a pillar of salt. It's not a story. That happened. Judgment, because it was easy to get them out of Babylon or get them out of Sodom and Gomorrah, but getting Sodom and Gomorrah out of them was a whole other matter that would take some time. And God's in it. He's in that. He wants to do that. He wants to deliver the world from us, out of us. He wants to deliver us continually. And one day we will be with him in the new Jerusalem. And notice that this 
heavenly Jerusalem, that verse 11, it had the glory of God and her light was like the most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. We can't even imagine what this might, might have looked like. And notice that she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and the 12 gates, or the, and 12 angels, excuse me, at the gates, names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. And we don't have time to go there, but I would encourage you to read and maybe write down these couple of scriptures here. Because in the millennial reign, uh, Ezekiel chapters 40 through 47, roughly, they outline for us this millennium, millennial temple that Jesus is going to have. And it mentions these gates. There's going to be three gates on each side, north, south, east, and west. And then in Numbers 2, remember when Israel came out of Egypt and they encamped in the desert, and as they were moving the, the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle <coughs> excuse me, would be in the center and the children of Israel would encamp around that tabernacle in like manner. There'd be three tribes on this side, three tribes on that side, three tribes, three tribes. The picture, the consistency is throughout the whole Bible. And even when we get into this New Jerusalem, the order is still there. For God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. Do you believe in evolution? Have you been taught evolution? Evolution is chaos. Something exploded. We don't know what happened. And out of that came order. I'm sorry, that just doesn't happen. When the army blows up something over, you know, when they go on their things and they blow up something, it goes in pieces. And it tarnishes and rusts and eventually the sands cover it. <laughs> it doesn't come out a, a, a new, um, you know, Cadillac, shiny and brightly polished. You understand that goes against nature, the very laws of nature. You have to have more faith to believe in evolution than you have to have faith to believe in God. It's nonsense, folks. Nonsense. Evolution is nonsense. I believe in a God who creates. And no, you didn't evolve from apes. Why are apes still with us? Why are all these things still with us? And nobody can figure that out. They're still scratching their head. Well, it's because they rejected God. If you reject God, then you've got to come up with your own new set of rules. And that's what the scientists and the fancy pants over at the, uh, in the, in the different... Um, Colleges and universities, these guys who are much smarter than I am, and that's okay because I'll be dumb and be a lover of God. They can be smart and whatever. But it will be very similar as the millennial temple and the tabernacle. Notice in verse 14, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations. Think of that, guys. When you build a house, you put several rows of, of, of masonry block down underneath, you know, probably six feet at least underneath the ground. And then you build your, your, you put on your trusses and you put on your floors and your house and you start building that. But this new Jerusalem had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles. Probably not Judas, but I imagine Paul was substituted in Judas's name. 
It's interesting what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, according to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is going to be the foundation of, he is right now, but he will be then. He'll be the foundation. I love that because then the, the very, uh, the apostles, the foundation of what they held to, it's going to be the foundation of it. And even the gates are going to have the names of the 12 tribes of Israel because it's through them. It was, as you, we would go through those gates, we will remember how indebted we are to the Jews who brought forth these scriptures to us. And it'll all be wrapped up in a nice little bow. Notice verse 15, and he who talked with me had a gold reed and he measured the city and its gates and its walls. And the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as the breadth. Now I want you to picture this. The length is as great as its breadth. And the, he measured the city within, with the reed that he had in his hand. And it was 12,000 furlongs. Notice its length, breadth, and height are equal. Now a furlong, and let's just go through a, a little math lesson here. A furlong is equal to, uh, if you look this word up in the original language, it literally says stadia, which is a Greek term, which basically is 600 feet approximately. 600 feet. So 12,000 furlongs would be roughly, if you do the math, 1,363 miles in length and in width and in height. Think of how crazy that sounds. It's a cube. It's a cube. Some have said that it could look something like this. Now, this looks a little ridiculous, but one thing that we don't know is whether that new earth that we're going to be getting, how big that new earth is going to be. Because this old earth, evidently, is going to be gone. And new Jerusalem is likened to this cube. And notice that it covers most of the United States and a, good, a great chunk of Canada as well. Roughly 1,400, 1,500 miles in length, in breadth, and in height. That's how big this place is. 1,400 miles straight in the air, this foundation, these walls. I love what uh, Henry Morris said this. He, he did some math on this, and he concluded that given the estimated population of, and he, again, he's guesstimating here, and, and you'll, you'll see this, possibly 20 billion residents uh, in, 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 in heaven, perhaps, and, and, and this is a very broad estimate, that each person would enjoy a block of space of approximately one cubic mile or its length, breadth, and height would be a little over a third of a mile in each direction. And that's with 20 billion people with something that size. Because remember, it's not even just the length and the breadth, but it goes up. Think of the, the, the different levels that you could have that God has made, that he's going to make, or has made already. There's going to be plenty of room for the redeemed Plenty of room. Kind of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? And notice in verse 17, And then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. So the height of the wall seems to have already been established, as we've seen in the previous verse, in verse 16, 
But it seems that this measurement might be the thickness of the wall rather than the height of the wall. I mean, to me, it makes sense because if we look at um, this wall, when it says uh, 144 cubits, we know that a cubit is about 18 inches. 144 of them is 2,592 inches. Divide that by 12 and you got 216 feet. Maybe, you know, but I want to take the scripture's word for it. The walls, it says, the length and the breadth and the height of it are 14, 000, or 1,400 miles. And I'm thinking that maybe, possibly, that the width, maybe, of this wall is 216 feet thick. And there's not going to be a lot of wind there because there's going to be no more sea. So I think uh, something going up that high with 216 in width going up 1,400 miles with no wind because there's going to be, the atmosphere is going to be completely different. And I think God can build a pretty sturdy wall. I don't think he's getting his materials from China. Amen. All of his materials are perfect. He could build a foundation on the edge of a paper, edge of a thinness of a paper, and it would be just fine. He would just say, be strong. And guess what? It would obey him. <laughs> But the construction of the wall was jasper, and the city was pure gold, notice, like clear glass. Jasper is clear as crystal. Think of that. And the foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones. The first foundation, now picture this in your mind, the first foundation is jasper. The second, and jasper is like a clear crystal. And then... Uh, the second, a sapphire, which is hard like a diamond, but blue in color. And the third, the chalcedony, it's a sky blue with stripes of other colors in it. The fourth foundation is the emerald, the bright green. And the fifth, the sardonyx, is red and white. And the, the sixth, the sardius stone, which is reddish in color. The seventh, chrysolite, transparent and golden in color. The eighth, beryl, a sea green in color. The ninth, topaz, a transparent yellow green. The tenth, a chrysoprase, however you pronounce that. A shade of green different from that of the emerald. And the eleventh, jacinth, violet. And the twelfth, amethyst, purple. You remember in the Old Testament that the high priest, he had a breastplate on. And in that plate were 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Notice the foundations are going to have the names of the apostles, but yet the same stones, it appears anyway, it appears that these same 12 different kinds of stones were also in the breastplate of the high priest, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And does God have you on, on his heart, covering his heart? You better believe it. He loves you. And in Exodus, we don't have time to go there, but I would encourage you just to write this scripture down because it describes this breastplate that Aaron and his sons would have to wear. The high priest would wear this ephod with these stones in it. And it describes the same stones. You know, um, you, you just read it. Just read it. it. It'll blow your mind. And then compare it with what you read here and see what you come up with. Very interesting. And the number 12, of course, speaks of government, speaks of governance, perfect government. And notice the verse 21, it says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Can you imagine? Pearls. These gates were made of pearls. 
Each individual pearl was one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. I don't really know what that's like. I mean, some have said that if you purify gold long and hard enough, that it'll become clearer and clearer. And that may be. I mean, it could be transparent like glass. It could be just the purest form of gold. We don't really know. It doesn't really matter. But what, what the world holds so valuable, the Lord says, ah, oh, you're going to walk on that. That's going to be under your feet, saint. And this is not some pipe dream. This is not some kind of pie in the sky. Folks, do you understand? And I want to encourage you not to look at these things as if it's some kind of story. No, this is the word of God. In fact, we're going to see next week as we end this book, we're going to see that there's a blessing for those who read it. And we have spent a long time in this book. And there's also a warning for anybody who would add to it or take from it. So I think God takes it pretty seriously. I think he understands man. Can you trust it? Do you believe it? I do. With all my heart. But notice, but I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. No longer is a structure necessary like in the earthly Jerusalem. And even in the millennial temple, there's going to be a temple. And why is there a temple? Well, wherever there's a temple, it's because there's sacrifice. Remember, even in the millennial reign, there'll still be sacrifices done in memorial. And there will still be people who have the ability to come to Christ during the millennium. Because they will come in from the tribulation period. It's not just going to be this, you know, gate. There's going to be people who are going to come into that. And they are going to populate the earth in their, in, in, their, in their same bodies. And there's some mystery about that, I'll be honest with you. But there will be an opportunity for people to still be born. And they will have long lives. We looked at that in detail. But this new Jerusalem will be something completely different. There'll be no longer a need for a temple because there'll be no need for any sacrifice because this is the ultimate place. This is the end of for, for the righteous. This is the eternal state. It, there's nothing after this. This is it. This is when, we, when you go to heaven, this is ultimately where you're going to be. This is where your, your friends and family members who have died in Christ, they're in glory right now, and they're going to be resurrected at the rapture, and they're going to live through the thousand-year reign of Christ. And guess what? They will inhabit this place, New Jerusalem, as we will all, if you're a believer, forever. And notice how beautiful it is. God spares no expense. He doesn't need... He, 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 can, he can call gold into existence. Do you realize that? that? That blows my mind. We fight and we kick and we spit and we have wars <laughs> to gain certain precious metals and liquids like oil and gas. And God's like, it's no big deal to me. You're going to walk on glass. You're going to walk on gold. It's going to be so pure. And the city had no need. Notice, no need. It doesn't say that there's no sun or no moon. I mean, it could be. We don't really know. We, can't, we can only conjecturize here. 
But it says the city had no need, had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it for the glory of God illuminated the Shekinah glory, the very brightness of God, the very brightness of Jesus in the center of that new Jerusalem is going to illuminate everything. And can you imagine, have you been in a church when, you're, you're, you know, one was stained glass? You can see we're, we're just flush with stained glass in this church. Got them everywhere. We, we cover them up just to, just to blind you from the effulgence of it because it would just blind you. We, we cover them up with those panels, but behind them is just all these beautiful... No, when, when the sun shines brightly through stained glass and it's just beating on it really intensely, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it glorious? And to think of the light of the Son of God at the center of this thing and the light is going to shine through all these different layers and it's just going to be like a, it's going to be like a prism. It's going to be incredible. Incredible. What does it say in Isaiah? The sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord, Jehovah, will be to you an everlasting light, and God your glory. What does it say in John chapter 8? Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Jesus said, now you are the light of the world. If you're a believer in Christ, now you've become the light. You become the bearer of that light, and you give that light to others. You share that light with others. Isn't that a great privilege that you and I have? We, we get to do that. What a great privilege. Is there any greater job in the world? I think of what I get to do as the best job in the world, if I can call it a job. It's really not a job. But you know what? I love it because I get to do that with you and I get to do that with others. There's no greater message. There's no greater thing I could share with fallen man, including myself. I read the word of God. It's the best. It's the best. Is it the best? Is there any other book? I mean, is, is uh, Joan Collins or whoever she is, she written a book that's really more dynamite than this? Is there anybody who's written, you know, God says, I love you so much, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you in advance what's coming. I don't know about you, but that comforts my heart. Didn't Jesus say that, that when the comforter comes, the Holy Spirit, that he will show you things to come? He will lead you in all truth. He will show you things to come. And hasn't he done that through his spirit, through John here, showing us these things that are yet to come on the earth? And he's never lied to us. I would challenge you to find something in the Bible that has, you know, that God, where God lied, where God, you know, he said he was going to do something, and he didn't do it. Because there's a lot that's already been fulfilled, right? There's a lot that's been fulfilled already, and there's still quite a bit ahead of us. But look back at that old stuff, and, and you research it. Many people have... And in the process, they've become saved. Some of the most brilliant minds in the world have come from a, a background of atheism and despotism. And in their quest to find out the truth, trying to disprove Christianity, they end up being believers. Some of the most brilliant minds. Love that. Love that. Notice in verse 24, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in, the, in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. When you look at this word nations in this verse, really what it refers to is the Gentiles, because isn't the church, isn't all of redeemed mankind, you're either a Jew or a Gentile. That's what it's talking about. I'm a Gentile. I have no ounce of Jewish blood in me whatsoever. As far as I know. <laughs> And that's who makes up the kingdom of God. Jews and Gentiles together called the church. 
but the nations. Remember what it says in Revelation 7. Let me, let me go there. What does it say? It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the, throne, before the Lamb. And we know that these people, in context of that chapter, were really the tribulation saints, those who had, who had given their lives Their lives were taken from them during the tribulation period, which is coming upon the earth, by the way, after the church is removed. But that's who it is. Nations, tribes, people, all together. And so those people who will inhabit this new Jerusalem will certainly be the Old Testament saints. We looked at this when we talked about the first resurrection. Jesus, the first fruits. The dead in Christ will rise, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up. At the beginning of the millennial reign, we know what the Old Testament saints, it tells us in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, and verse 12, that the Old Testament saints will be resurrected, and probably even those saints at the end of the millennium, they will be changed to inhabit this place. They will be changed And notice, verse 25, its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. See, remember, in the millennial reign, which precedes this new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem, the millennial reign, there will still be the sun, the moon that's out there right now. The same earth is still going to be. It's going to be different to some extent. Some of the curse will be removed, but there's still going to be a sun and moon. That same sun and moon that you see out in (laughs) in space... That same sun and moon is going to be on the earth during the millennial reign. Did you know that? Are you worried about the, the, the scientists who say, the sun's going to burn out and we're going to freeze to death? The moon's going to come off its kilter and the tides are going to shift and global flooding and, and it's, you know, all these things. No, it's not going to happen. Is global warming going to dis, you know, destroy the earth? No, not that global warming. There's coming a global warming, and it's not what they think. That'll be an interesting topic to bring up to them. We believe in global warming. Yes, so do I. Can I read it to you? Can I talk to you about it? Because you don't want to go there. What do you mean? (laughs) An open door. An open door. No night there. Because the sun will be the light. And they shall bring, verse 26, the glory and the honor of the nations into it. This new Jerusalem on this new earth. Now, the question I have, and that I don't have an answer for, and again, there's some conjectures here, and we can't be dogmatic about this, but I wonder. The new heavens and the new earth, is it going to be just literally, is it going to, the whole thing, the whole orb of earth, is it just going to dissolve in fervent heat and God will make a new one? It could be, and I believe that that's probably true. But, it could, but some have said he's just going to cause everything on the earth and the, the atmosphere to dissolve with and, and just burn up. And, and it, what does fire do? It purifies. It could be. I mean, it's possible that it will be this physical earth, but just completely remade. It, it could be. Can't be real dogmatic about it. It doesn't really matter whether it's, that's the case or whether he creates a new one. But I believe the Bible and it says that a new one will be made. So I'm going to hang out there because I like it better. <laughs> Do you like it better? And let people argue with you about it. It doesn't really matter. The fact of the matter is just make sure you're there. 
Who cares about whether he burned the whole thing with fire or whether he created the, a new one from scratch? It doesn't really matter. Are we going to really be fighting over that? Can you imagine in the New Jerusalem poking your finger in somebody's head? I told you, man. I told you it was brand new, and you know, and then we're fighting, and, and then the angels have to come and all right, break it up, and then tase us, you know. You got the Holy Spirit security force, the HSSS, or HSSF, Holy Spirit Security Force. You heard it first here. And then verse 27, finally, but there shall be no means. Notice the way he continues to reaffirm to us that there is going to be nothing, nothing by any means that will enter that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. I love that. We saw that earlier, and we're going to see it later in chapter 22, where he reminds us, oh, by the way, this is not going to be there. All the abominable, all of the sexually immoral, all the sorcerers, which, by the way, is drug abusers. The word is pharmakia, sorcery. And he talks about all these other things. They will not be there. Those who practice such things and continue to practice such things, they will not be there unless they repent of those things. In fact, in Revelation 22, we'll see this next week. It says, blessed are those who do his commandments. This is uh, Revelation 22, verse 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life. We'll talk about that next week. And may enter through the gates into the city. But notice, but outside are dogs, unclean people. That's what they're, what's talking about. And in fact, in some verses, it even talks about homosexuals. Homosexuals in the Bible are often referred to as dogs. That's what the Bible says. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, drug abusers, sexually immoral and murderers, idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. They will not be there. And I love the fact that he reminds us again, it's going to be beautiful. And he lists all these wonderful attributes of it. And then he says, oh, by the way, did, you, did, I, did, I, did I tell you that? That's never going to be there again. Oh, thank you. Thank you for reminding me, Lord, that these things, it's foreign to us, isn't it? Because if, if you watch the news, I'd encourage you not to. I, I've gotten away from all of that stuff, I'll be honest. With you. I learned a really bitter lesson. I'm done with it all. <laughs> but I would encourage you to get away from all of it, and you'll be the better for it. It's changed me completely over the last month. My whole life has changed for the better. Amen. Amen. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. Light of his. Amen. Amen. So, finally, how about you? Notice that last verse. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? If you can say wholeheartedly yes, then praise God. But if there's anything, yeah. Praise God. Praise God. 
<laughs> and if, you're, if, if you don't think or are, are, are a little bit ambivalent about whether you or your name is written in that Lamb's book of life, please don't leave this room today. It's too valuable. The stakes are too high and the blessing is so great. You must come to Christ today. For those of you who are online or anyone here, please don't leave this room today until you confess your sin to God and you ask him to forgive you and he will do that. He will run to you. Do you understand like the prodigal child as the son is walking down the street, the father sees him from afar. He runs. God wants you. He loves you. Don't waste your life. Do not waste your life when God has such great things in store for you. The greatest things are yet ahead for us, folks, and fix your heart on those things. Turn your heart upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Amen? Let's stand. And listen, as you stand, if there are anyone here today who has not received Christ, I would challenge you to come down. When we are dismissed, you come down or you grab somebody next to you that knows the Lord. Pray with them. Come up here. Pray with me. I'd be glad to pray with you. Grab one of the elders. Grab a believer, someone that you know in here. Grab somebody and say, would you pray with me? I'm just not sure. And you know what? God will hear that. He will hear that. And he will confirm in your heart that you're a child of God. And until you have that assurance in your heart, even though you're not perfect, you continue asking. You continue knocking. And believe me, you don't have to knock very hard for the Lord to say, I believe you and I'm coming in. Coming into your heart and your life. You don't have to, you don't have to beg. He's running toward you. Will you accept it? Will you receive him today? And Christian, for those of us who have known him, rededicate your life and heart to Christ. Clean the house. Go through all the doors and the rooms of darkness that you've closed up and that you've hold the keys to. Hand him the key ring and say, Lord, these are yours. I'm done. Do you want to be done? Even as a Christian, be done with those things. Amen? But seriously, one final thing. If you haven't received Christ, please, please don't leave this room until your passport is stamped for eternity. Father, we just thank you for the hope that we have, Lord, the hope in Christ. Lord, that you've shown us in your word, Lord. It is so true. It is so wonderful. And God, I pray for everyone here in earshot of me uh, physically and, and, and uh, online, Father. I pray that you would touch every heart. And Father, that you would burn a hole in our soul. Burn a hole in our soul, God. Save us to the uttermost. Cleanse us, heal us. Pour out your spirit upon us. Make us effective ambassadors for you. Be glorified in and through your church here at Calvary Chapel of Rochester. We love you, Jesus, and we're so thankful for you. We look forward to hearing the trump and hearing the sound and being caught up. Forever we will be with you. And you said, comfort one another with these words. And we are comforted. And we are blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.